You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 159, and today we are talking about books being released on May 22nd, 2018, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my squad, Amanda Nelson, Jen Norrington, and Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Woo-woo! Yay! Greetings. Happy third anniversary. <laughs> I was yes. going to ask which anniversary it was because I forgot immediately. <laughs> We're just all here because it, it's Monday. It's our third, which like forever I kept thinking it was our second. I'm like, there's no way this is the third year we've been doing this, but it is. Amazing. Woo-hoo. Yes. So many do you books. Know, do you know what would go like really well with a three year anniversary? What? Jen Northington. Um, <laughs> is it a giveaway? <laughs> yes imagine that imagine that okay well that's my very nice cue to tell you all about the newest giveaway that we're doing um real quick it is a 500 dollars gift card to the bookstore of the winner's choice which means yes you get to pick the bookstore um and it starts on the 21st which is today at the time of the recording um and you can go to bookriot.com slash bookstore 500 uh the numbers 500 to enter which you definitely should do um i really hope somebody picks like a local indie and i really want to see the stack of books yes. that gets bought yes. but yes so if you would like to be the person who potentially wins this you should go that's bookriot.com slash bookstore 500 if only there was a podcast you could listen to that would tell you new books to pick up with your 500 hundred dollar <gasps> gift card if only we should get on that <laughs> Wherever would one find such a thing? <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to do things a little differently today. Not too much. We're each going to talk about a book, and then we're going to answer some listener questions. So uh, I'm going to kick it off unless somebody else wants to. Nope, oh, there you go. Crick- crickets, my little crickets. <laughs> uh, my book for today is Mem by Bethany C. Morrow, out from the fabulous Unnamed Press. It's set in an alternate... 20th century, at the beginning of that century, um, it's narrated by Elsie, who is a mem. A mem is short for a memory. In this alternate reality, memories can actually be extracted from humans. Uh, Elsie's real name is Dolores Extract Number 1, so her source was a woman named Dolores. And people go and they have their bad memories removed or something traumatic that happened to them, they can have it removed from their memory so they no longer remember. And they can have up to three memories taken out of them. Uh, And they are stored in a vault. It's like a big vault. And the scientists are called bankers. And their memories are like copies of humans that reside in this vault. Um, They don't have... They're not alive. They start fading immediately after they're extracted. And eventually they'll fade into nothing, sort of like Marty McFly. But they... They can only relate the specifics to their memory. Like, they can't hold conversations or do anything on their own. Uh, Sometimes they'll speak out loud, but they're only speaking things from that specific memory that was extracted. Um, Only, the thing is that Elsie is not like them. She is alive. She shouldn't be, but she can function like a human and hold conversations, and she's her own person. Uh, She's very self-aware. The bankers... uh, did I already say the bankers are called, or the scientists? I think I did. They're called bankers. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all baffled as to why that is. Like, they don't understand why Elsie um, is alive. Uh, but eventually, she's, you know, she's studied and eventually she's brought to the surface because the vault is below ground. She's brought to the surface and adopted by a couple 
um, this professor and his wife, and she's given her own apartment, and she has her own life above ground for almost two decades. Uh, she, re she remains 19 years old. That's how old she was when the memory was extracted. Uh, she also picks out her own name. She doesn't like Dolores, you know, extract number one. I don't know why. Um, and so she changes her name to Elsie, which is a name that she heard in a movie that she loves. Um, so she lives above ground for 19 years, and then when the book starts, she has been recalled to the vault for reasons unknown. Um, she, she has to go back to the vault. She has to give up her apartment and her life above ground. Um, she goes down and she meets her new banker, who is the son of her old banker. Um, the nurses and the other bankers don't know how to react to her. They're not used to um, interacting with the other, the other mems. Like, they don't have to talk to them or care about them or anything like that, so they don't know how to, how to deal with her. Um, I don't want to tell you anything else about it because it's only 174 <laughs> pages. So that's like the backstory. Um, I'll just say like it's tremendously sad and beautiful. Like I, I just loved this book. Everyone I know who has read it just loves it. Because um, like Elsie has a whole life of her own and it's revoked and she's aware of that fact. And that makes it so sad. In a way, it kind of reminded me of the Murderbot Diaries in like a sort of different way, which just won the Nebula, by the way, the first one in that series, which is awesome. Um, but like both Elsie and Murderbot are these two man-made creations who are self-aware when they shouldn't be. Um, and they also choose their own names, which now next time around, I'm totally picking Murderbot for myself. <laughs> um, but it's, it's just so, so good. Uh, and again, that is called Mem, M-E-M, and it's by Bethany C. Morrow. I have to co-sign that book. I also really loved it. Um, and and it, it takes place in this, like, alternate Toronto, which was a neat twist, right? Like, you don't... I mean, I had not read an alternate history set in Canada before, so that was nope. pretty cool. Um, and, and there's, like, this added element of race in the book because because Dolores is like a young black woman and and so there's a bunch of different things going on in there I just I I like I also love this book and when Liberty picked it I was like oh like she's gonna do such a good topic you know job talking about it but I also want to talk about it so I'm totally butting in here oh wait it's not it's not Toronto it's Montreal my bad it's Montreal the other Canadian city that I know of sorry <laughs> Oh, don't send us angry emails. I know. I was double checking it, y'all. I was double checking it. All right. I guess that brings it to me. Um, my pick this week came out last week because that's how I do. It's The Ensemble by Asia Gable. This is a debut novel out from Riverhead. That's one of my favorite things. I love an ensemble novel that moves back and forth between a bunch of different characters' perspectives. And this one is about a literal ensemble um, for young adults who form a string quartet fresh out of like they've gone to a very fancy college they are getting um, master's degrees and they become the Van Ness quartet uh, two men and two women and the friendship that so the friendship that exists between them, the way that their career and their personal lives are all intertwined with each other. Um, if you're interested in music at all, there's really interesting stuff about that as well. But it's mostly about these complex relationships between these four characters, some of whom have romantic relationships with each other off and on. 
throughout the story. And then of course their outside lives affect how they show up to practice or to any performance. And there's ambition and a little intrigue and there's some sauciness and like people keeping secrets from each other and heartbreak and stuff about marriage. And like, if you've worked in I think any kind of really intimate working environment where family life and work life and friend life all start like have overlap in a way that can be really interesting, but also really messy at times. Um, you'll relate to this. I just thought it was phenomenal. Um, every perspective is fully drawn and the characters are flawed in very real and interesting ways um, and kind of has that getting the band back together thing that I love as well, except they're just always together, like for a decade. Um, so you meet them when most of them are 20, the oldest is 24 and he's like late to his career at the age of 24 um, is just how cutthroat that world uh, can be. But we follow them for a decade or so through uh, different struggles and different decisions that they're making. And it's just, it was just a joy. I read this while I was traveling a month or so ago, and it was also a perfect travel book. Um, I could sink into it and just lose myself for 50 pages, um, but also not something that you're like, it's not, you know, like rocket science requiring deep concentration. I think putting this book out just before Memorial Day and the summer holidays was a great decision on the part of the publisher. If you're looking for something to keep you going uh, in the next couple of weeks, it's great as well. So you get, you know, you got friendship and music and competition and some sex and all sorts of good stuff. Um, so that is The Ensemble by Asia Gable. It's very Mozart in the jungle. At least the the book. I have not seen the TV show. But I did read the book Mozart in the jungle. Can okay. anyone attest to that? <laughs> no. All right. No. Only once. <laughs> all right. You'll just have to take my word for it. But I believe you. <laughs> Who wants to hear about our first sponsor? Everyone. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) One time I asked Liberty and she said no. And I was like, well, I guess going to do it anyway. And also I'm never asking that question again. (laughs) Um, So our first sponsor this week is Campaign Widows by Amy Agresti. This is out from Graydon House Books. It's about Katie Davenport. She is living the American dream. At least she is supposed to be. She's in a new city with a new job and even a new fiance. But when her husband-to-be hits the road for the upcoming presidential election... Katie realizes she's on her own and that her dream life might not be all she'd imagined. That is, until she finds herself thrust straight into the heart of the most influential inner circle in Washington, D.C., the Campaign Widows. As friends, they're an unlikely group, but they share one undeniable bond. Their spouses are all out on the trail during a hotly contested election season. That sounds like a lot of fun. Also an ensemble novel. It centers on five unlikely friends and the bond that they form when their spouses are headed off on the road during the campaign season. Amy writes from the firsthand experience as she has been a campaign widow almost four times during her Senate, during Senate elections, because her husband has spent much of his career in the U.S. Senate as a um, communications director. And he was also a political appointee during the Obama administration. So she's writing this from an inside experience perspective. She's also a former staff writer at Us Weekly, where she wrote their coffee table book, Inside Hollywoods. You know, she's got the dish. And I think this sounds like a lot of fun. So that is Campaign Widows by Amy Agresti. It's out from Graydon House Books. You can find it wherever books are sold or click a link in our show notes. It's my turn. Go, Nelson. (laughs) All right. (laughs) 
Um, my book also did not come out this week because that's how I roll, apparently. Um, it came out May 1st from Arsenal Pulp Press, and it's called Little Fish. It's by Casey Platt. Um, and Casey is a Lambda Award winner for her short story collection, which was called A Safe Girl to Love. And Little Fish is one of those really kind of quiet, plotless novels that you can't put down for some reason even though very little is happening which is like a trick of literary fiction that I really really love Mm -hmm. um so this is about a woman named Wendy who's 30 years old she's a trans woman living in also a Canadian city the name of which I can't remember Winnipeg she's living in Winnipeg um and she comes from a family of Mennonites uh which there's a big Mennonite population in Winnipeg um her grandmother when the book opens her grandmother has just died and she's gone home for the funeral And while she's there, she gets a phone call from from a friend of her grandparents who she's never met before. And this friend tells her that her grandfather was also maybe transgender. But who knows? Because this lady that she's talking to doesn't know who this person is, is just trying to, like, get the secret out there. She doesn't really remember anything about her grandfather. And, like, what? But then, so this, like, big revelation bomb gets dropped in her lap. But she kind of puts pause on it because she like just can't handle the enormity of that kind of secret about her family and she's got all this other stuff going on the the store where she works is closing so she's about to be unemployed um and then you know you follow her through all of these like her just daily life of being kind of poor uh being a really raging alcoholic and dealing with her friends and their like interpersonal drama um there's a lot of discussions of sex work she herself has a history of sex work and some of her friends are still sex workers when they need money um so it's just like day to day watching her kind of stumble drunk down the street get up drink some coffee go to work all the while never really addressing this huge thing that she's learned uh, that may or may not be true about her her family. So eventually, um, this secret becomes, you know, like kind of too huge and too big. She starts poking around the edges of it, like maybe sort of bringing it up to her father and seeing if he remembers anything a little bit strange or off or any kind of things that his dad maybe said that made him pause or, you know, made him think of any kind of questions that he wanted to ask. Um, and then she finally decides to go meet this friend of the family who told her this big secret about her grandfather and kind of get to the bottom of it. So it's almost a mystery kind of, except it's a mystery wherein the protagonist does not care to solve it. So you kind of maybe get a little frustrated. I got a little frustrated with Wendy, like, but this is such a huge thing. You know, like if your grandfather was transgender in the early 1900s in Winnipeg in like a Mennonite community, how can you not want to get to the bottom of that immediately? But of course, she has plenty of reasons for not wanting to get to the bottom of it. So it's just like, oh, you want to reach in and like shake her and then shake all her friends and like just shake everybody and like go find out this thing for me, please, which is a great <laughs> it's it's like that's what drives it really is like your your kind of desperation. You're feeling the desperation that, you know, Wendy feels, but she's not saying or acting on um to find out this this the truth about you know this grandfather who she remembers really really fondly and lovingly uh but other than that just a lot of drinking just lots and lots of vodka happening on the page so yeah so that's little fish by casey platt i have no segue aside from (laughs) to say that it is my turn um (laughs) i picked anger is a gift by mark oshiro which does come out this week hooray Good job, Jen. Um, thank you. Thank you. I get an A for my assignment. Thank you very much. Um, no, I was so excited that this book was coming out. And the fact that it coincided with the date of this recording was just like ideal for me. Um, 
because Marco Shiro, uh, who I've, uh, you know, like met on the conference circuit, like he was at LeakyCon and GeekyCon when I was there, and then he did Book Riot Live with us, and he is just really smart and talented and interesting. So I've been awaiting his debut novel for a while, um, and it is here, and it is a five-alarm snot bomb, like have <laughs> all of the tissues available to you, because it is, it is rough. Um I don't know, like, if police brutality is a trigger for you, you're going to want to forward ahead because it's impossible to talk about this book without talking about that. So it is about a young man, a teenager um, named Moss. His nickname is Moss. His first name is Morris. Um, And when he was little, his father was murdered by an Oakland police officer. Like, you know, coming out of a convenience store, like, didn't had his headphones in, got shot on the steps of this convenience store for no reason other than being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, and his mother and his father have been very involved in activism in Oakland. And like that has kind of tapered off since this uh, death. Um, but he still gets recognized by people in the activism community. And in the meantime, he like witnessed his father dying. And so he has left with these crippling panic attacks. Um, and so the book actually opens with him getting off of the train into a scene of like a protest that's being broken up by police and like having a panic attack in the middle of it. And as somebody who has had panic attacks, like it is too real like it's really on the money um and then you follow him trying to like have a life like he's like you know he's gay and he there's this cute boy and like is he gonna like me and is he gonna run away because I have this anxiety and these panic attacks and and then at school, they are doing random locker searches. They've decided to install metal detectors, and kids are being harassed by the security officials who are, you know, patrolling the school, basically. And he just kind of starts off the book feeling so helpless and just so unsure of what he can do for himself, for his community, like what is there to do. Um, and then as the book cr- progresses, things get like both a little bit more hopeful and then a lot more tragic. There's a huge spoiler that I will not get into, but a really rough thing happens halfway through the book. And um and 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 then everything kind of goes out from there. And what I think is so amazing about this book is that it is like I think a lot of it's a coming of age story and a lot of teens will feel very seen by this book, um, which I think is obviously super important. But I think adults should read it too because this is a perspective that we do need to read and be reminded of. Um, and 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 I think that by being so clear about the consequences of the consequences of activism, especially for black, brown, and or queer bodies, which like basically everybody in the book is a person of color um, and is, you know, coming from West Oakland, which is not a rich neighborhood and is, you know, very underserved. His school is like crumbling to pieces. And in the meantime, they're spending a ton of money on metal detectors. Like what is going on here? Um, But it's, it's so clear about the consequences of activism and like the pitfalls and the ways that you can be damaged um, while trying to make your community a better place. But it also somehow manages to retain that understanding that this is necessary and like, how can we, like, it definitely gives you that feeling of that, you know, anger is something that we should harness and use for good and it's going to, but it's going to be rough. Like this book, it really doesn't pull its punches. And, um, 
And so, yeah, it's just, I mean, it's a really intense and amazing debut novel. And it was so interesting in the afterward, he says that he originally started it out as a sci-fi story and, and then it evolved to become this, you know, contemporary YA novel. And I just, it's so fascinating to me, A, to try to think of it as like, you know, murder robots um, instead of what it is, but also to be so glad that this is the finished product because I think it's really important and really excellently done. And you just fall in love with Moss. He's such a interesting kid and he like it's a real pleasure to tag along with him which is a weird thing to say when a book is this sad but like it really is you do want to know what is going to happen in his life and you want to root for him and the people around him um so yeah incredibly compelling a really really a rough read though so you know be be prepared uh so that is anger is a gift by mark oshiro so good oh so many tissues liberty <laughs> <laughs> Or just use your shirt. <laughs> or that. <laughs> you know, life hacks. <laughs> uh, moving on, I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor. It is Fury Born by Claire Legrand. Uh, when assassins ambush her best friend, Riel Darden risks everything to save him, exposing herself as one of a pair of prophesized queens, a queen of light and a queen of blood. 1,000 years later... Eliana Farakora, a bounty hunter for the Undying Empire, joins a rebel captain and discovers that the evil at the Empire's heart is more terrible than she ever imagined. As Riel and Eliana's stories intersect, shocking connections between them ultimately determine the fate of their world and of each other. A stunningly original must-read fantasy of 2018 that follows two fiercely independent young women centuries apart who hold the power to save their world or doom it. Melissa Albert, the author of The Amazing Hazelwood, calls it an epic fa feminist fantasy. And Kendara Blake says it is truly not to be missed. It is the first in a thrilling high fantasy trilogy featuring a magic-wielding queen and a ruthless bounty hunter. It's pretty much covered all the cool parts. Like, it's got it all down. So, again, that is called Fury Born by Claire Legrand, and it is out now wherever books are sold, or you can find it in the show notes. So, hey! Hey! So, hey! <laughs> we have a few questions from listeners um we can kind of answer if we want unless anybody wants to sing a song or anything i was just Crickets. doing a matthew mcconaughey impression <laughs> oh no right, let's do right, questions right. instead of that <laughs> oh, we got both <laughs> uh, we have an email from stacy she asked us to name uh, books, or she says, books that are standard or required reading now in high school or college, but that weren't yet written when you were in school. What are they? Which ones are great? Which ones do you still want to read? I don't know Ooh. what they're reading in school now. <laughs> yeah, I only know what they were reading in school like 10 years ago <laughs> when I was a bookseller and we were doing summer reading kinds mm. of things but that's how i came to the book thief and the hunger games Ooh. the hunger um, games mm -hmm. i was like slow on the hunger games uptake and then one of the local high schools put it on their summer reading list and i was like oh i guess parents are gonna have questions about this so <laughs> i should i should read it and they did so i'm glad that i did but those are the only two that I can think of. It, it, like hmm. anything that's YA that's on a high school list that I have read in the last 10 years is, you know, probably 
eligible. <laughs> yeah, my my thought, my first thought for this was also YA, um, which is Speak by Laurie Halsey Anderson, which was written, mm. um, it'll be 20 years ago next year, or is published 20 years ago next year, which uh, was also the year I graduated from college, or high school, excuse me, high school, so I'm dating myself there, but um, I, and I should disclose that I do freelance assistant work for Laurie, so, but I would pick this book anyway, because talk about an important book, like boy especially now i mean it's it's bonkers to me that 20 years later this book is still so necessary um but it is uh but yeah that was i was trying to think of what i was having the same problem like thinking like well i don't know any teenagers in high school so i have no idea what they're reading that they wouldn't have that isn't like a canon classic um but then i remembered literally all of the emails that come into lori that are like we're reading your book in my class and i was like aha (laughs) i have one (laughs) yeah the one teenager that i see regularly read the fault in our stars last year oh but that's not my jam, so it's yeah. not my like book I would have picked for this question. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a 17-year-old who is a senior, um, but their English class does n- no assigned reading. Like she's never had to really? read a full what? novel. Yeah. They read like some short stories and then it's mostly grammar stuff. They did a poetry unit. I don't know. Mostly she does like free reading. So she lets her pick whatever she wants. And my foster child is a little lazy. So she picks like holes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like kids books. Um, but yeah, I can't. I mean, we have like one of our contributors. Um, Nikki is one of my good friends who lives in Richmond and is an English teacher in 10th grade. And so I was trying to think about what they're reading, but they're reading Toni Morrison, The Bluest Eye in her class right now. So that was definitely around when I was in school. Mm-hmm. right yeah yes yeah, I read yeah. beloved when I was in high school um and that was assigned when I was 15 so I imagine so what I'm saying is I have no answer for you <laughs> <laughs> let's uh move along mm-hmm. someone else wanted to know what our girl gang rock band would be called for <laughs> our inevitable world tour <laughs> the air lockers what? <laughs> what? Which is like a little BSG reference. Oh. There. oh. Lib and I have joked for years about being the whiskey gingers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's pretty good. My like... go to band name is always Chicken Scissors. What is what? that? Chicken Scissors. <laughs> Explain yourself. I, I know I'm not sure I can. It came out of a kitchen conversation that I get, I thought Rebecca was there for, but it was when, it was when I lived with my friend Allie. Um, and I don't think I can replicate why it was so funny, but immediately ever since, if I had a band, its name would be Chicken Scissors. Is it from (laughs) Spatchcocking? Um, I mean, probably that was somehow related. Chicken was obviously involved. (laughs) Look, if I'm there, there's always chicken. Right, exactly. (laughs) So... Oh, that was probably the day we made that roast chicken the first time and then we couldn't find like the sharp enough knife to carve it. (laughs) That is probably what it was from. So we used my kitchen scissors, which were then the kitchen, the chicken scissors, chicken scissors, chicken scissors. I now know what my actual nightmares are. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Liberty. Oh my goodness. When you have a vegan on the show. (laughs) Whoops. It's I don't never consider that to be an option. Mm. All right. Tucking that away for later. <laughs> Just uh, you know, think about that when you're awake in the middle of the night. <laughs> no gracias. Moving on. 
One book. What one book do you think everyone should read? Pat the Bunny. <laughs> Pat the Re- Bunny. Wait, really? No. No. <laughs> I was oh, ready for it, though. I wanted, like, a real in-depth like, no. breakdown. That's my answer for everything when I, I don't know. I'm like, uh, Pat the Bunny. Hmm. <laughs> I picked another bummer of a book, um, but that's also really good. It's Eloquent Rage by Brittany Ooh. Cooper, which somebody recently I was talking to about Marco Shiro's book. They were like, didn't you tell me that this was an essays book? And I was like, no, you're thinking of Eloquent Rage, which does have like a similar title um, and is also about activism and being black in America um, and is super, super good. But yeah, if I could make everybody like currently, because this my answer to this question changes from one week to the next. Mm-hmm. But I've been super stuck on on Eloquent Rage for a while now because it's very, very good. And I think very important um, and specifically talks about about what it means to be a black feminist and and how we deal with the world around us. It's it's so very good. I was originally going to say what you're getting wrong about Appalachia um, because I think one of the cores of like the things that we're missing in our political discourse right now is the ways in which people stereotype and completely misrepresent that area and its effect on like the GOP's right-wing fringes and Trump's election all that nonsense but then I thought like that's probably too regional like the that's so U.S. centric so instead I'm going with Men Explain Things to Me by Rebecca Solnit Mm. because mansplaining is an international friggin phenomenon um and it's just it's a collection of essays uh the the main one uh is called Men Explain Things to Me and it was it went I don't know viral whatever back in the early 2000s where she coined that term mansplaining and it's about the if you haven't heard it it's about that phenomenon wherein men explain things to women that women already know and it comes from an experience Rebecca Solnit had at a party where a man explained her own book to her um even after she said oh I wrote that he was like no 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 you didn't and then he like went on <laughs> to explain the plot of the book. And she was like, literally, I wrote that book. And he was like, no, it was in the Atlantic. And she was like, right. Yes. <laughs> it was in the Atlantic. <laughs> you know, like, like every time I think about that essay, I'm just flabbergasted mm-hmm. all over again. <laughs> but it happens all the time, right? Like we've all experienced it. Every woman has experienced it. But I think everybody should read that so that like dudes don't do it. And so that women have can can recognize when it's happening and stand up for themselves uh, if they feel the need to or care to at all. Um, so yeah, that would be my pick. Hmm. I was going feel good. Um, so I was thinking about, I don't know, I have I have problems with like a should in reading, yeah. like a universal application of something, even something that I think is really important. But I think everyone could find something in Tiny Beautiful Things by Cheryl Strait mm. that like you... I give that book to people when they're in their own like hour of need. Um, I definitely read it in a difficult time in my life, but it's interesting because you don't really get out of it necessarily her perspective or like deep wisdom about the thing you should do for your particular problem. You get this wider perspective about all the other things that are going on in other people's lives and the common thread of humanity there that like, what I'm going to butcher the saying, but there's this thing that gets put into beautiful flowery Instagram posts about like that everyone is fighting a hard battle at any time, or you don't know what the people you're interacting with in life are going through necessarily. Um, and trying to be aware of that. And I think that tiny, beautiful things just walks that line in a really 
it's very lovely. It's very thoughtful. But Cheryl Strait is also very direct when she sees the BS coming from, you know, something that someone is saying. There's a real call to like change your life if you need to change your life, but also a real acceptance of sometimes things are hard. And seeing uh, the way that she takes the stories that other people tell her about their lives when they write in for advice and then the way that she spins back her own experience and her advice and also this like hey this is you're just a person you know like this is just humanity um i think is a, a real it's excellent for empathy and that i think is something that we're all you know that the world is short on right now this reminder that my own stuff is not the only stuff um other people have stuff too <laughs> You know what else we're short on? Hmm. Unicorn names. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bring it back, Lib. Lighten us up. So many, many episodes ago, because we are big fans of Phoebe and her unicorn by Dana Simpson, uh, the unicorn in the book is named Marigold Heavenly Nostrils. And so we started uh, giving people unicorn names based on like a flower, an adjective and a body part. Um, and I dubbed Rebecca uh, Petunia Sparkly Ovaries. <laughs> And she named me Tulip Rambunctious Toenails. And so a listener was asking uh, what we would name Amanda and Jen. So oh, I have Lord. a couple of suggestions, unless, oh, unless Rebecca, unless you want to. <laughs> okay, well, I know that Amanda loves peonies. I do. Uh, um, and I love Amanda. So <laughs> peony cantankerous. <laughs> Earlobes. <laughs> <laughs> Done. I do have nice earlobes. And I'm going to name Jen Frieza Shimmery Wrists, I think. Okay. Oh, interesting. I like shimmery. Yeah. Uh, and I do have tattoos on both of my wrists now. So yeah. That makes that, you sound that's... like a very particular kind of like glitter-laden superhero. <laughs> yeah. Shimmery wrists. I'm here like for Instead it. of Diana's cuffs you have <laughs> it, like you shoot glitter out Bands of your wrist yes spider-man yes. Like, i want to do that <laughs> <laughs> i had to look up freesia but that is a pretty that's a pretty flower i'll, I'll take what it. if tattoos could be glittery Ooh. sparkle tattoos They're that wasn't a book it, i'm sure yeah yeah mm. oh was gosh. that eric's book wait Hmm. Which one had It's probably been tattoos. in more than one book, <laughs> but I was thinking of uglies specifically. Oh, uh, which I have not. I read. feel like that would okay. result in a lot of drunken regrets. <laughs> <laughs> Even more than tattoos occasionally right. already do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm going to move us to the next question, which is about our pineapple allegiances. Let me to explain. Um, <laughs> in the Book Riot Insiders Forum on Slack, and I, I cannot remember how this started, but food is a thing we talk about pretty regularly because we are humans. Um, and pineapple pizza came up and it has since given rise to the pineapple wars there is team pineapple and team no pineapple and the the distinction is not as is sometimes forgotten in the heat of the moment whether or not you like pineapple generally it is whether or not you think pineapple should go on pizza i personally am team pineapple i think pineapple pizza is delicious so now we need to hear everybody else's pineapple allegiance Oh, I've never had pineapple on pizza. <gasps> really? So I don't know. No, but when I was in Brooklyn last year, I went to the vegan pizza place down the street from Word mm -hmm. to have it, and they were sold out. Oh. So I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it and come down on one side or the other. 
Um, I mean, I generally like pineapple. For science. I don't know. I've never had it on pizza, so I don't. I, I'm going to go with yeah, yeah, soft yes. <laughs> Amanda? Um, I don't prefer it, but I also don't care. <laughs> That's kind of, like, I could, yes. I could go either way. Like, if you put a pizza with pineapple on it in front of me, I wouldn't pick the pineapple off. Okay. But I would not order it. Yeah, same. Yeah, I also don't care. I'm guess, surprised yeah. to find a food thing that you two don't care about, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Well, because I, I mean, get... pimento cheese or GTF. <laughs> right. Yes. But would you put it's... pineapple on a roast chicken? No. No. No, who would no. do that, though? <laughs> no. I feel like this All is right, this is a weird... I was actually just... I was just having this conversation. I went to Gettysburg this weekend, and I was in this restaurant where they served the, an incorrect kind of po' boy. Like, it was just wrong. Mm. And I had this very big like rant about how southern food when you go into the north is just why would I why did I order this this was a mistake Uh, and then I started thinking about pizza and how that is outside of my lane and like I don't have an opinion about the definition of pizza and what should or should not be on pizza and what like pizza crust should or should not look like I know what I like but I feel weird about defining it because it's not part of my cultural experience or anything that I have any expertise in at all so I think when it comes to, like, know, the pineapple dude. war, I'm very, like, I don't know. Do what you want. You eat more pizza than any human I have. I know. <laughs> but it's, I know. But it's not, like, this is what pizza should be. It's just, this. Is, I like it, you know. But if somebody said, I feel that way about pimento cheese or, like, deviled eggs, you know, or, or collard greens. If somebody made oh. collard greens with pineapple in it, I'd be, like, I... This is where I kill you. Like I will fight you about some deviled eggs. Right. Yes, see, like this is my lane. Pizza's not my lane. I'll eat it all day for every meal and have. But it's not like defining it is not my lane. I I think the initial fight was like people who think it's gross and people who think it's delicious. And I Mm. really do think it is delicious. Um and and there are many people who think it's gross. To the extent that, like, people have been sending each other, like, prank gifts in the mail (laughs) referring to pineapple stuff. It's so silly. It's so delightful. Yeah, that I think it's pretty delightful. It's my it's one of my favorite things. I know exactly. It's one of my favorite things about the Insiders forum is that we have the pineapple wars. It's like a thing. <laughs> and if you two have strong feelings about pineapple on pizza, you can join at insiders.bookriot.com. There it is. Come tell us, and Rebecca and I will smile at you bemusedly. Yep. Fair enough. <laughs> Someone else. Oh, sorry, Liv, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to just say, like, our our next one was someone asked about our worst author experience with or without naming names. And I don't particularly like to badmouth people uh, in public. Um, So, but I did have a little story, if you would like me to share it. Oh, yeah. About um, an elderly author, a gentleman who may or may not still be alive uh, when we worked, or when I worked at the bookstore. uh, People still do work there. (laughs) (laughs) We were hosting this author, a very famous elderly gentleman, um, and his publicist contacted us and said, here are the rules. Do Mm. not speak to him unless he speaks to you. He was like the queen. They were like, don't try to shake his hand. Don't speak to him unless he speaks to you. Don't let anyone else talk to him. Don't ask him any questions. Just put the books down in front of him. Have him sign them. Don't speak to him. Just like, don't upset him. 
so we were like, oh my goodness, like what kind of a monster are they sending to us? You know, like, oh, great. Because we generally, I, most of the author experiences I've ever had were delightful. They're always delightful. So we were like, oh, we're all like so nervous about this man coming to the store. He was like the nicest little old man. <laughs> he showed up and like, he was just so sweet and nice and like kept talking to us. And so we were like, is his publicist mad at him? Was like this some kind oh, of like he probably goes from like store to store and he doesn't understand why nobody wants to talk to him and like nobody, but they could not have been more wrong. He was the nicest. Anyway, Aww. that's hmm. my story. I, I have a else? I have a head scratcher one that popped into my head when I saw this story. So I helped open a bookstore in Jersey City, and like I get that if you're used to New York, Jersey City is kind of nowhere. But the bookstore was right across the street from the train station, like the main train station in Jersey City, where you come out and you're like surrounded by shops, and there's like a main road, and you can basically see the Manhattan skyline. Like you're right in the middle of everything, and and you literally cross the street, and the bookstore is right there. And this author came into the bookstore and he had like arrived solo without publicity or anything. And we had asked them, oh, is, you know, are, the, are you sending him in a car? No, no, he's going to make his own way. So I, I don't know if he like got lost or turned around or something was really weird. But he comes like into the bookstore looking like he's just like come through like the jungles like he like <laughs> looks like he's seen some stuff um, <laughs> and he's like I had the hardest time finding you like you're just in the middle of nowhere and I just looked at him and I was like uh like I didn't know what to say like we're you could see the train station from where I was standing. Like, you can see Manhattan. Like, I don't, like, I did not know what to say to him. I like, did he walk like, across the bridge yeah, or something? Like, I, you, there isn't even a bridge. There's literally not a bridge between Jersey City and Manhattan. Like, you can't, you can't walk across a bridge. The path is not that bad, like, in the middle of the the week on a Tuesday. Like, I just don't even know. I don't know. I don't know what happened to him. I have no idea. Stuff. He, he, he felt like he had seen some stuff Aww. at the very least. I'm afraid that my story is also Rebecca's story, so I'm going to let Rebecca go first. Oh, I was. I don't go to many author things, and I can't. I don't know what your story is, Amanda. I was going to say I don't. Oh, it's it's internet based. It's internet based. She's not getting my head. Oh, oh I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm, are you talking about like the world's worst trolling? Yes. Um, a couple. It was what a couple years ago. Oh, now? Yeah, it's yeah. been a few years. Um, I got into it with a like conservative thriller writer during the early days of Black Lives Matter, um, and he retweeted me to his floppity jillion followers. Um, and then Amanda wrote in as Amanda does. I have a tendency um, to do. <laughs> Ride or die, girl. <laughs> and we both got like, I mean, I am not new and you're not either uh -uh. to internet harassment, but we both were harassed for like, it was over, it was like in the run up to Thanksgiving. Cause I remember like mm -hmm. turning my phone off to host Thanksgiving um, with friends and family and then turning my phone back on the next day and being like, wow, these people are still going like over Thanksgiving, like for weeks yeah. of um, like death threats and rape threats and terrible internet harassment for having dared to like suggest that a 
rich white guy who makes his money writing stories about, you know, heroes with big guns might not know what he's talking about with Black Lives Matter. Uh, Every time I see his books on the remainder table, I get a little happy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, that's an internet author experience that we shared. In my early internet days, I got like some author emailed me some self-published author emailed me like to try to get me to blog about their book and I didn't blog about the book but I like did it I talked about like the weird interaction that that I had had with him but as a blind item in a blog post and I guess he was keeping track of my blog anyway and like I didn't name his name and I didn't give any identifying details but he happened to be a lawyer um in his day job and like threatened to sue me for a week or so (laughs) for a week or so oh boy (laughs) Good times oh, yeah. on the internet. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, let's go back to just the guy who got lost trying to find the Jersey City. Yeah, he could not figure out like how Jersey City worked. I want like a kid's picture book about the stuff he saw <laughs> while he got lost in Jersey City, and I want it to be like a pigeon riding a crocodile. Yeah, like the churro lady. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what else could he have seen? I mean, if listen, some gum, if uh, some, some gum, gum. yeah, perhaps <laughs> some gum. Like if it had been two a.m. and he had accidentally gone to Hoboken, like I would understand because that is a terrifying experience. But like. But no. <laughs> I wonder if he like went to the wrong train stop and then had to walk a bunch to perhaps, get back to you. Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The mystery. Hmm. It lives it, on. It, we'll never know. We'll never know. Who we'll never know. I could call him. <laughs> what if we just dialed him in right now? <laughs> yeah. Tell us, sir. <laughs> Tell Shall us about the path. Our last question. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, All right. What book would we read again for the first time if we could? <sighs> How dare you? <laughs> I have thought about this all day. <laughs> My answer changes every day, but today it would be The Giant's House by Elizabeth McCracken. Oh, good one. Deep That's cut. Like the most perfect book. I just love it so much. I would probably. But I mean, like, I read why it all the time. was it? What part of it would are you like yearning to re-experience? What? I can't I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. I need details, thing. Liberty. <laughs> the whole thing is just so like the feeling that it gave me, like it's just so heartbreaking and beautiful. That's that's all. I don't know. She has a new book coming out next year. I'm gonna lose my mind with excitement. Nice. I am. I have one for this, and it's Nine Fox Gambit by Yoon Ha Lee. And the reason I decided on this one, because I also have been thinking about this for literal hours. Um, <laughs> but the thing that I was thinking about was that the experience of reading that book was so mind blowing because it just wasn't like anything else I had I have ever read like the world building was so different the way that like the rules of the universe work is just so different and and I really like I I think in somebody else's hands I would have just been annoyed by how confused I was but instead I was just like I don't know what's going on and it's amazing like it's amazing um and I would love to experience that again for the first time it was so confusing. <laughs> so confusing, but I was so there for it. Like, I was so there for it. I rewound, I listened to that book on audio and I rewound it maybe like the first hour m- twice. 
yeah. before mm-hmm. I could figure out what was going on. But the like the notable thing about that is that I have never done that before. If an audiobook is confusing to me, I just turn it off. Mm. But I was so like, I don't know what's happening, but I feel like I have to. Like yeah. I have to. I have to continue. So yeah, agreed. Yes. That's a good one. Mm. Um, okay, so mine would be One Good Earl Deserves a Lover by Sarah nice. McKay. Yes. Hey! Oh, I love the reinforcement, y'all. Thank you. Um, this is the first romance novel that I read as an adult. And I, I wasn't, until until I read Sarah McLean, I wasn't a romance reader. Not because I had any particular preconceived notions about it. I just had never tried. I had just hadn't gotten that far yet. Um, and it was, it was just so eye-opening. Like, you know it's it's so feminist and her and her her heroine is a scientist and she's like a, a geek and she wears um ridiculous spectacles that she keeps losing which i loved like she's really quirky and the hero is he's not like an alpha hole like he's very respectful of her and the relationship was really sweet and lovely but it's also really super steamy like there's this whole love scene where they don't touch each other. And it is just like, whoo, like, Lord, let me turn my fan on. Um, but that, it was just a revelation. Like, if this is what the genre is like, if this book is is really what romance is like, then, like, whole new world, you know? Woo. Mm-hmm. Eye-opening. I loved it so much. And to yeah, have that experience would... again, I think, would be really, as somebody who, you know, you work in books and you get kind of like, yeah, I've read that before, I've read that before. And that was just such a, I had never read anything like it. Mine would be The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell, mm. which I feel like from the beginning of our podcasting life together, Jen, like back to book yep. ranges, we've, we've talked about this, like, because the, there's such a surprise to it and I didn't see it coming and it just hit me in this really powerful way. I was in college. I was like 20 maybe when I first read it. Um, and for years I reread it every year, but that first experience, like it, it asks really big questions. And it was the first time in my adult life that I read fiction for fun that also asked like giant questions about like faith and the nature of belief and is the universe good and all like just huge things. But also it's about the Jesuits traveling to another planet to find alien life. And at the time I didn't even realize that that's science fiction. Mm. Like this was um, as Amanda talking about Sarah McLean opening her eyes to romance. Like I remember reading the Sparrow and then describing it to somebody like at lunch and then being like, Oh, so you read sci-fi. And I was like, no, (laughs) it's this like giant literary novel about like, like I was pretentious in college, but like this giant (laughs) literary novel about like the nature of belief. And it asks all these questions. Like they just happen to be in space. And the person was like, right, that's science fiction. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Oh, Um, but that was the novel itself was a really important reading experience for me, but also that it opened my eyes to thinking about genre in a way that I hadn't understood genre before. Well, it does bring me back to the book Regis days. Yeah. Mm. So we answered some questions. Mm -hmm. Yes, we did. And we turned three. Yay. (laughs) So what are you going to read next? Rebecca Jenamanda. Ah. Oh, um, <laughs> I just started Roxanne Gay's essay collection that she edited, Not That Bad, um, about rape culture. And so I'm reading that, but it's like, that's rough going because of the content. And I think I'm going to intersperse it with something fun. So I picked up Calypso by David Sedaris. 
Ooh, that is fun. Oh, nice. He buys a beach house, I think, and like wants to get his whole family. Like, right? It's already fun. It's already fun. <laughs> buys a beach house. The idea of David Sedaris. But there okay. is a thing about his sister sleepwalking that just, I was like crying, like taking the book outside to read it to Pete because it was so funny. So I will just be going back and forth between like really difficult essays and funny ones. And I guess I'll have a lot of feelings. <laughs> something to look forward to (laughs) all of the feelings um i am currently in the middle of the follow-up to amberlo by lara elena donnelly Uh, it's called i never know how to pronounce this word is it armistice or armistice i am not sure armistice armistice it's a it's a short eye it is a short eye okay so i'm in the middle of that um and it is super interesting because it is following some of the same characters as Amberlo, but not all of them. And there's a new character, and they keep referencing this other character who, like, a major spoilery thing I can't talk about happened to at the end of Amberlo. And I keep wanting to be like, okay, but, like, I need to know this thing. Like, are you going to tell me this thing, or are you just going to leave me in suspense forever? Um, so I am both enjoying that and, like, I'm like, oh, my God, Tell me the thing already. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> um, to, I just purchased today a copy of Singled Out, uh, How Two Million Women Survived Without Men After the First World War. <laughs> um, it's by Virginia Nicholson, Nicholson who is uh, Virginia Woolf's great niece. That has nothing to do with anything. Ooh. It's just a fun tidbit. And I saw, I got recommended this book. It wasn't even a recommendation to me. I saw it recommended to somebody else on Twitter on a thread that got retweeted into my timeline that was a breakdown of, you know, like this this idea of incels that's happening right now and Jordan Peterson talking about how men shoot up schools and boys shoot up schools because the sexual marketplace has is too hard for dudes to whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so somebody in that thread, it was like a breakdown of Jordan Peterson's terrible idiotic arguments. And a historian got into that thread and recommended this book as like, well, actually, when the sexual marketplace is literally destroyed, women do super great. And I was like, oh, I'm going to read that. <laughs> so it's about World War One and how, you know, so many men of marrying age died in World War One that the UK was left with, they called them surplus women, over two million women who were, uh, who never got married because there just weren't any dudes around. And so like it's, it, she picks a couple um, to like follow, to see what they did with their lives. Like some of them become archaeologists. And of course, many were, you know, sad that like they couldn't have the children that they wanted and um, that they didn't have the family life that they envisioned for themselves. And then a lot of them really went out and did these like amazing things in their careers and their lives and became activists and politicians and all this, all this really cool stuff. So yeah, that's what I'm reading next. I'm just reading the Wicked King. <laughs> <laughs> Fairies, you know, which is kind of the same. Not at all. It's by by? Holly Black. No, it's the sequel to The Cruel Prince. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh. I didn't realize that was, that was arrived yet. a galley, if that's what you mean. But it's out January 9th. Yeah. Um, Oh my God, that's so far away. (laughs) It hasn't arrived yet. (laughs) (laughs) No. But I'm excited. I really liked the first one. I was telling Jen that I thought I saw a fairy in my backyard last night. (laughs) I was uh, looking out the back window and I saw this like glowing light at the back of our yard by the compost pile. I was like, it's a fairy or some fraggles, maybe with a lantern. 
Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it just turned out to be a solar-powered lantern that my elderly neighbor gave to my boyfriend that he managed to set out in the backyard before it got dark out. So, spun. It's just all my fun was spoiled. Oh, in my in my head canon, you have compost fairies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it could be that could be it too. Maybe like they came out because they saw the light. They were like, "Who left this here?" Right. And then they're like, "No, a troll." So. Right. <laughs> on that note friends <laughs> I think that's our show thank you for hanging out with us for three years or any part of that three years so far don't forget to go to bookriot.com slash bookstore 500 that's the number 500 to enter to win a $500 gift card to the bookstore of your choice and thank you to our sponsors Campaign Widows and Fury Born we'll have links to both of those in the show notes or if they sounded good to you you can find them wherever books are sold if you have something to say to us you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com or talk to us on the interwebs uh, on twitter i'm rebecca shinsky s-c-h-i-n-s-k-y liberty is miss liberty amanda is i'm amanda nelson and you can find jen at jen irl that's j-e-n-n-i-r-l If you like what we're doing here, and we certainly hope you do, please take a minute to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps juice up the algorithm so other people looking for bookish shows can find their ways to us. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books today or our pineapple allegiances, we just don't have the time, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. Oh, this next part is so exciting. There's four of us. <laughs> and in the meantime. In the meantime. Happy, happy reading. reading. Happy reading. <laughs> <laughs> We're adorable. 